Welcome to episode number 92 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome back on Scott Braun from Foul Territory. We'll chat about the Mariners offseason. Speaking of the Mariners offseason, we'll project what could they do with their remaining budget. We'll take a look at some options. Here's your reminder before we start the show. If you're listening on our audio platforms, make sure to download our episodes, leave us a five-star review, follow the show. That really does help us out, especially those reviews and downloads. So take a few extra seconds to do that. Go like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, where our full video podcast is, and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here Monday morning, January 8th. We've had some time to digest the Friday action, the two trades that Jerry DePoto made over the weekend. A reaction episode is up on YouTube if you missed that, uh, out of out of rhythm for us. But now that we've had some time to s- let the trades sink in, from the Robbie Ray trade to San Francisco for Mitch Hanniger and Anthony DeSclafani, and then Jose Caballero going to Tampa Bay for Luke Rayleigh. Has been anything else you've kind of thought of as you've had more time to digest these trades over the weekend? Honestly, the more I think about it, the more I like it. It just makes sense for the Mariners. I'm not thrilled that they had to give up Robbie Ray, but it's like we talked about in our reaction episode. They need offense, they got offense. And if Mitch stays healthy, if Rayleigh's on the field, I think it only helps the offense. Look at where they were just a couple days ago compared to now. I feel much better about where they are sitting here today than I did just a week ago. So I, that's where I stand. The more I see these trades, the more I like it. Oh, and I will add, you said our reaction episodes on YouTube. It is on our audio platforms too. So wherever you want to watch or listen, you can do that. Yeah, in case you missed that. I think the other thing too is people get kind of skeptical of the future money aspect. And you have every right to be skeptical of the future money aspect. The Mariners could really just slash payroll in the future. I don't know that. That's 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 a, a long way off in the future with all the financial uncertainty with root sports. But with some of the options we'll go over here today, it, it is it it is an option that that leaves open a chance for bigger contracts. I mean, it's not likely. They have a track record of of the exact opposite of what I just said, of handing out lengthy, high-paying contracts. But when you take a look at their future commitments and see that next year, uh, in 2025, they only have about $90 million committed, and then it's in the 50s range in 2026, and then lower than that in 2027. I mean, there's options there. There's, there's space open to add. And especially if Jerry DePoto and company really sat there and thought, I don't know if we trust Robbie Ray's health in the future. And we don't think that's going to be worth the $25 million a year he's going to cost in 2025 and 2026. So we're going to do something about that. And we're going to get rid of that money if we can. We'll take on some money this year and free that up in the future. They could use that money in the future for something that would that would make an impact. So uh, I think that's the biggest thing I took away from that. The next biggest thing I think I took away from these trades is that it makes sense that Luke Rayleigh would play a significant amount of first base because with the topic that we're going to talk about today, what can the Mariners do with their remaining budget? You and I are combing through options. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot more outfield options than there are infield options by a significant margin. 
So if they can find a way to get Luke Rayleigh more playing time at first, this would usually this would probably follow a Ty France trade because he's not playing third base. It seems like the most realistic path to being a better baseball roster this year is to put Luke Rayleigh at first base, move him in from the outfield, and then trade for another outfielder or sign another outfielder. There's still options out there to sign in the outfield as well. Because the infield market, uh, we'll talk about a couple of options today, is it, it's p- pigeonholed right now for what you think could actually be an upgrade. We talked about it in season. The third base group of Major League Baseball players this season was not good. It was a pretty down year for third baseman. Overall, the position was pretty bad. So after you get past about 15 third baseman in Major League Baseball, you're right there in the Luis Urias range. And it doesn't doesn't really benefit you at all. So I think that's the, the couple big things I took away there. Luke Rayleigh, more time at first. Okay, you sound like you're pretty ready to jump into today's topic. So let's do that in just a minute. But before that, let's hear a quick word over from our friends at Pagotcha's Pub 85. That's Pagotcha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. It's it's our favorite spot to go hang out with our friends, eat some food, drink some great drinks, and watch a bunch of games. The NFL playoffs are coming up. National championship, well, as we're recording this, will be tonight. And there's a bunch of basketball. There's a bunch of hockey. You know, March Madness is right around the corner. So you want to go have a good time with your friends? Head over there, and if you head over to, to Pub 85 during happy hour, you can get some great deals, which include $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. That's during happy hour, which is Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. So head over to Pagacha's Pub 85, have some great food, great drinks, great time with your friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. All right, so here's basically the topic, the main topic of today's show. We are essentially going to sit here and have a brainstorming session about what the Mariners could do the rest of the winter. We're going to throw a bunch of ideas out there. We're going to, the two of us are going to bounce ideas off of each other, and we're just going to try and spitball because there's a lot they could still do and a lot of unknown, even though a lot of this roster is starting to shape out for how 2024 will look. But we've got some ideas on, on paper, don't we? Yeah, we do. So let's preface it by saying the Mariners payroll right now currently sits at about $121 million. If you go look at fan graphs, they project what they think the Mariners payroll is going to be at the start of the 2024 season, and they say $132 million, and that's $11 million more than they currently have committed right now. If I'm going to take a guess, the Mariners are going to enter the 2024 season with no more than $135 million. Well, if the budget is 145, we'll say that 145 to $150 million, which would be above, as Jerry says, their 2023 payroll, they're going to need money in season to make additions. And you've heard Jerry DePoto talk enough and he loves his flexibility. And you certainly can't be flexible if they add all, 145 to 150 million before the season starts because then you know what happens if you do that then you get into a 2018 situation where the team starts off really hot fizzles towards the deadline desperately needs a good player to come in and then Jerry's like well can I get some more money from ownership and they tell him no Jerry doesn't want that Jerry wants some room in season to make additions if he needs to so Lyle what is at the top of your mind of who they should add 
If we're going to go straight to the top, this is me ignoring what you just said about having some flexibility when the season starts. But if you're just looking at the allotted payroll budget they have left and you're looking at a 20 to $25 million range and the need to fill third base, we're going to circle back to it here. Matt Chapman's in play. I'm not saying it's real. I'm not saying it's likely, but if you're talking about that's what the Mariners payroll budget is, he's in play here because if he's going to cost around 18 to $20 million, that would use most of the remainder of the budget, but it would be within the budget. So that would bring the Mariners up to if it was, so you said five for 90, five for 90 is $18 million a year. That puts you at from 121 uh, that puts you at $139 million. So on the high end, the high most optimistic end that gives you $11 million of payroll space headed into the season, and that's fine. So the offseason will be done right there, period. Point blank, done. But honestly, that would probably finish out the offseason. And for everything people have wanted, that would, you know, people like be like, okay, I'm ready to watch the regular season. I think people would be ready at that point. Five years for 90 is a lot. Five years of commitment would be by far the most they've ever given to a hitter under Jerry. And I'm, I would be kind of shocked if a contract like that ever came about for the Mariners. But it's within the budget. As skeptical as we are of Matt Chapman's future and his offensive profile, he does make the Mariners better because he's better than Luis Urias. Point blank. And he would be guaranteed on this roster for five seasons to which they have no guaranteed money in the future. So let's address something. We've talked about Matt Chapman this offseason. And if you go back and listen to what we said about him, we had our hesitations. Those were also hesitations on the idea that we're expecting him to get about $150 million or whatever crazy deal Scott Boris tries to cook up for him. Spotrack projects him right now to get $17 million a year. If that's really going to be the closer number to what his contract is, and it's going to be a five for 90 type of deal, I'm much more open-minded all of a sudden, much more, because five years of Matt Chapman is a little bit different than seven, and there's a really good chance that on a five-year deal for Matt Chapman, you could get the bang for your buck on that contract. And look, strikes out a lot, is getting older, had one great month last year at the plate and then fizzled off, but you know what? He still plays great defense. He hits the ball extremely hard, and he makes the Mariners a lot better. You're still talking about a guy who's a walking three and a half, four win player. And that's toward the top of the Mariners war list. If he adds, if he is an addition to the ball club. So for 150 million, I'm skeptical for $90 million. Yeah. I'm much more open-minded. $90 million buys you your third best player by war. So it'd be Julio Cal and then Matt Chapman given the season. And if Matt Chapman comes to Seattle and has a breakout offensive season, which is a pipe dream, he would probably be your second best player easily. Matt Chapman with a good offensive season is a five and a half win player. He is. Now, let's go, we're not going to do this for every player we talk about here, but let's do what's our favorite game these days. What like hypothetical opening day lineup. So in that scenario, you have JP, Julio, Cal, Garver, Chapman, yep. Ty at six. You have, oh, or, or you have Rayleigh at six, Ty at seven. Then you have, who am I missing? Well, Rojas at nine, and I'm missing a position. Oh, left field. Left field, it'd yeah. be Hanniger and Dom. So if Hanniger or Dom is hitting eighth with Rojas at nine and you have Chapman in the lineup, that lineup can compete. That's a real lineup. Yep, that's a, that is a 
maybe not a World Series contender. It's to everyone's own subjective thinking of what a World Series contending lineup looks like. But it is certainly better than it was last season. It is certainly not for a lack of effort that the Mariners are uh, that the Mariners don't have a World Series lineup because the the effort would have been there, the financial commitment would have been there, the future commitment would have been there, and you would feel like this is a move they can make now and in the future. So I kind of like the Matt Chapman if. Jerry is willing to go all the way to near the edge of his payroll budget, given that he said it's a higher than 140 million from last season. Okay. Does that mean 141 million, Jerry? Does that mean 145 million? Does that mean $150 million? We don't know. So Matt Chapman, if it's $150 million, makes the most sense because that's the most room the Mariners have. And that would still give Jerry the about $10 million he needs in season to be quote unquote flexible with the payroll and make everything work. So, so that would work out. Ryan Divish wrote an analysis piece in the Seattle Times uh, this weekend detailing what they could do next and where the payroll currently sits. And he said, so he thinks, according to sources, he has that $145 million is the cap this season. So that would make me a little more uh, skeptical of a Matt Chapman deal because I don't know if Jerry would go to within $6 million of that budget before the season starts. Let's just remember, just to remind some of our listeners, every time you call up a prospect in season, it goes on to the major league payroll and your payroll goes up. And that's not counting if someone gets hurt in season and the Mariners have to swing a trade for somebody. That also gets added to the payroll this season. And you need room to work with that. And if the Mariners are right up at the $145 million mark, and they desperately need, say, a starting pitcher and say they have more starting pitching injuries in 2024, well, Jerry's shit out of luck. He can't go get anything. So that's why there's reason to stay, give yourself a little bit of a balloon between the top and where you're actually going to go into the season having. And let's look at both sides of this coin, too. We talked about the positives of Matt Chapman. And again, if it's a $90 million contract, I'm much more invested. But I will remind people, like we talked about a few weeks ago with him, Matt Chapman has not had a WRC plus of 120 or above since 2019, and he has very oddly struggled with fastballs a lot the last few years, forcing fastballs. Now, I don't know if that means his bat speed starting to deteriorate, but those are two things to consider. I still stand by that on a $90 million contract, I would be invested. But I would keep that in mind if I'm Jerry and I'm, if I'm anybody listening, thinking, oh, lock it in, go get Matt Chapman. To also get that close to the payroll budget for a guy that may or may not be deteriorating at the plate. It's just something to think about. So a couple other big options still out there. Number one, I still think a trade for Jorge Polanco makes a ton of sense. Let's let's say it costs Emerson Hancock, someone making league minimum. Uh, well, actually, sorry, Emerson Hancock could probably get you. It, would it be great? Emerson Hancock get you both? with maybe, maybe with an attached prospect with both the Twins guys, but they don't need both of them now. So that wouldn't wouldn't make as much sense. So, anyways, pick well, pick your pack. What I would say. Well, you were you were talking about earlier in the show. You think they still might need an outfielder? Maybe maybe they'd still be interested in both guys. Now I think Perhaps. it would cost more than Hancock. I'll say in this world, I still think it keeps uh, that that would still keep Ty France because you're not trading Ty France for Jorge Polanco. So Ty mm-hmm. France is still on the roster at that point. Mm-hmm. So there would need to be another trade independent of this one to get Ty France off the roster. Okay, so let's say let's say the Mariners still go and acquire Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco. That's that's dangerously close to the top of the payroll budget. That's about twenty million dollars of addition, and the Twins aren't 
just to know twins aren't taking any payroll uh, on with that. Now, uh, the Mariners could dump Ty France. They could take somebody back who's making league minimum and save about nine million nine. Yeah, it'd be about nine million dollars with Ty France. So that would work out to about uh, around eleven million dollars with with the two twins guys. So that would work. If you swing a trade still for Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco, Kepler goes into the outfield. Luke Rayleigh comes and plays first base. Jorge Polanco is your third baseman. Now that's a significantly better trio of spots than you had previously. That works. You could still sign Reese Hoskins. His price tag is, I think, still about $21 million. That would also necessitate a Ty France trade. He would be on the more expensive end, but... Again, within the budget of $145 million, that is technically within there. And I'm still going to come back to Jock Peterson as well to sign Jock Peterson, fill Luke Rayleigh's role in the outfield, and then you put Rayleigh on the infield and Ty France gets dealt somewhere else. There are ways to work around this. And the more I think about it, you know, Ty France, if you're willing to take a, you'd probably have to take a loss on the Ty France trade because you're trying to save money. But you could still shed that $9 million that he's projected to make this season in arbitration. And then when you go acquire someone else in the outfield, their contracts kind of wash that out. And it works. That could all, all those moves could work out. Jock Peterson makes you a better lineup and fits in your outfield. Reese Hoskins could play first base if you trust his health issues. And then the Twins trade just, it makes so much sense. It, it really does. Even if you throw Kepler out of this deal and you say, okay, we're buying into what Ty France is doing at dry line this winter. We're expecting a bounce back year from him. They leave him at first base. Then even just a trade for Polanco, one, that's going to cost less. And two, of all the remaining moves, this one probably makes the most sense. Jorge Polanco has technically two years of club control because there's a club option on his contract for 2025. So you would get two years of Polanco at third base. And when you look at his profile, while he's not a great defender and he has not graded out well on the defensive side of the ball, especially last year, most of that stems from second base. He was about league average in the sample size he had at third. So if you were to play him at third base, which would make the most sense, it's an upgrade. It's a big upgrade. This guy's had a WRC plus of 118 or higher in each of his last four full seasons. We know he can hit the ball. We know he walks. There's a lot that fits the profile there of what the Mariners are looking for, and it shouldn't cost you some haul between giving up Brian Wu or Bryce Miller. So of all the remaining guys, I think Jorge Polanco is the most logical fit. So I like that. There's some other more bargain bin options. Ready? Are you ready to just shoot these down as soon as I open my mouth? Tim Anderson? I'm crazy not going to shoot that one down as much Mm. as you think. I don't love it, but you know what? If you buy that it was truly one bad year that he had last year, then maybe because because before that he was so good. If they could just get like a 110 WRC plus out of Tim Anderson, that's fine. Like he doesn't need to be some ultra power hitter in Seattle. The problem, he doesn't have to rely on that at all. That's not the kind of hitter he is. A 300 hitter will get on base about 34% of the time. He'll slug in the 440s to 450s. I mean, that's fine. And he's not going to cost a whole lot either. Just $5 million is what Spotrack projects him at. That leaves you option to either make another move now or gives you way more flexibility in season if you want to go out there and make a splash if the team's really making a difference. So his bat profile is not really third base. Third base, you want more power. You want, you want more of an anchor of your lineup. Tim Anderson's certainly not that. 
But at this stage of the career, I think he could do it. You wouldn't have to commit to him long term. And I think Tim Anderson would be a lot of fun to have on the team. Lastly, <laughs> he would be a lot of fun to have on the team. I would guess he'd probably play second base if he was here. So he's never played a game at third base in his career. He's played two career games at second base, but both of those games were just a season ago in 2023. So if you sign Tim Anderson, likelihood is Rojas and Urias would platoon at third rather than second and Anderson would play second. But you said it. He's been a two and a half to four win player most of his career. That's a lot better than the Mariners have gotten at second base in a lot of previous years. Now there's still the side of, do you think Tim Anderson is on a downward spiral and he's just not going to get back to the player he was after the way he played in 2023, where he put up a 582 OPS. But if you can buy a bounce back for $5 million or $7 million, seems worth it. What do we always say? What is one war worth? Eight million bucks. You pay Tim Anderson $7 million and he puts up one win, then the contract was a win. So it's not my first choice. I wouldn't totally hate it, though. But with the value of what that $7 million means to the Mariners right now, is that worth a win at second base? Because Rojas gives you a win at second base, at least, if not two. Yeah, Rojas is probably more like two. I mean, the way he was playing last Mm -hmm. year, he was certainly trying that way. So uh, for the value of what $7 million means, is to the Mariners right now, and $7 million is about a third of what the remaining budget is. Is a third of the remaining budget worth one win? Probably not. So if they could get Tim Anderson uh, for two wins, if, you per- if you're projecting out and you think he could be a two-win player next year, then that might lean a little bit more towards a yes. Well, great. If he's a two-win player, that's awesome. I'm just using the example of the math that's used in baseball of one mm-hmm. war is worth about eight million bucks. I'm not saying I want Tim Anderson to put up one war, but if he's going to be a five million dollar player, then you're not you don't well, need that much out of him. The, the team yeah. needs that much out of him, but to win the contract, you don't need that much out of him. To win the contract, yes, but I'm also thinking of it in the context of what the Mariners have available to them. Like, it, would that money be better spent somewhere else if that's all they're going to get? Yes, but we'll see what they'd even get. Again, I, sure. if Tim Anderson comes in and bounces back, sign me up. Speaking of bounce back candidates, and we're, if it's going to be third base infield back, bounce back candidates, do you like Gio or Shella any better than Tim Anderson? <sighs> Maybe if once he gets out of Los Angeles and he gets out of the Angels organization, he'll start hitting a little bit better. I'm, I'm, like I just come back to his his 2022 season with the Twins. He had a 119 WRC plus in 144 games. He was healthy. He's an above average defender at third base. He's not going to cost that much. He's going to cost $7 million. So for some context, you or Shella missed a bunch of time with the Angels this past season and had just a 92 WRC+. There are a number of factors that his offense, it either could be declining because he had some, he had a couple of declining years with the Yankees before he left their organization and went to the Twins in 2022. Um, and he's getting older as well. Nothing's going to top that 2019 season he had. I don't think any of us are going to expect that from Gio Urshela. But if he can come in and again, a 110, like and and you think he could bounce back? I I think that's another quality option. He's more suited to third base than Tim Anderson is. He's more complete of an offensive player than Tim Anderson is, and for about the same price, doesn't sound like a terrible decision. And especially if you think he's going to bounce back, I'm not. I wouldn't be. I'm not certain if he's going to bounce back. It's it's kind of hard to judge anyone on the Angels. I mean, what are they playing for, anyways? So I I, I like. 
I like it. I like the idea of Gio Urshela. I think that could work. He's also a low strikeout guy. He's usually under twenty mm-hmm. percent. This past year, he was under sixteen percent. So that part's good. Now he does not walk at all. I'm talking less than Teoscar Hernandez. But if you like that he doesn't strike out, if you think he could bounce back at the plate, if you trust his defense, it might be worth seven million dollars. But it's just another bounce back candidate potential. Couple other quick ones. I mean, Adam Duvall technically is still out there. He could give you decent offensive numbers. He'd slide into the outfield. You move Luke Rayleigh to first base. You trade Ty France for something. Uh, we I've already gone through the Polanco uh, Polanco trade for um, to coming to Seattle, Kepler or Polanco. There's a couple more expensive uh, options. Well, actually, no, I already noted these. Jock, Matt Chapman, cool. Reese Hoskins. Is there anyone like we haven't noted yet that so- you had on your list? I have a couple. So quick on Reese Hoskins. This would have to involve a trade with Ty France, right? Because then Hoskins would play first and you trade France, presumably for a third baseman or a reliever. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and Hoskins would cost a decent amount too. Maybe the fact he's coming off a big injury would lower his value a little bit, but he will cost a decent amount and eat up a chunk of the remaining payroll for the Mariners. Here's a couple. Well, first, I feel like we have to just address the Jorge Soler rumors because you would think right after they signed Mitch Garver, they're out of it. Hector Gomez is saying, no, they're still, as of the time we're recording this, in on him. Now, I don't know what that means, and I don't know how exactly Scott Service is going to manage his defensive alignments. If they actually signed him, it would make the offense better. Defense would be a nightmare. It'd be a real Jack Z throwback. That's like having Mark Trumbo and Raul Abanez in the same outfield. I don't. I just don't... When I see these rumors, I'm like, great. Like, I, I wanted Jorge Soler. Soler was up near the top of our lists at the beginning of the offseason in, in terms of affordability and production at the plate. But looking at the moves they just made, I don't know how this makes any sense. Like, you're already going to have Mitch Haniger, who probably shouldn't be playing outfield every day at this stage of his career, playing outfield most days. You're going to have Mitch Garver, who sh- also shouldn't be playing in the field most days due to his injury issues. And then on top of that, You'd, you're still interested in someone who's probably now a DH only in Jorge Soler. The price would be manageable. The production would be great. But how do you manage that defensive lineup? You have one DH spot. You can't play. You're not putting Mitch Garver behind the plate. There's just that's an irresponsible move. Totally irresponsible. Mitch Haniger, uh, like, is going to have to play in the outfield. And you want to still play defense in the outfield. Jerry continues to harp on that. You don't do that with Solaire. If I had to throw my best idea out there, I guess it would be Solaire DHs. You tell Garver to play first. You say to Ty France, hey, get down to Arizona and start working on third base with Perry Hill, even though Ty France is not built to play third base anymore and he is truly a first baseman. That's, I guess, the best idea I have if you sign Solaire, but that is a defensive nightmare. Because again, I, I just, Ty France isn't a third baseman anymore, and Mitch Garver is not supposed to be playing the field all the time. Can can I just remind people that when we talk about bad defense, it doesn't only affect the defense itself, it affects the pitching staff, and you have a pitching staff you want to prop up and be great. You know what doesn't help a pitching staff be great? (laughs) Put those guys in the field. (laughs) Here's a couple other ideas I had. They involve one team. It would be the Dodgers, funny enough. So. I have a couple ideas that I'm going to throw out, and this is the last part of my list. 
with all the signings they've made, and by the way, they just signed Teoscar Hernandez to a one-year, $23.5 million deal. Is there any world where they would think about trying to trade back for Chris Taylor if the Dodgers ate a good chunk of that money? Chris Taylor has a couple years of control left. He's about a two-win player. He strikes out a lot, but he can play both second and third base. I'm not saying it's my favorite idea, but it's an idea. Mm, I'm going to probably give you the same reaction I gave you when you texted me last night. Probably not. I would say the same. It's not my favorite move. He does walk. Again, he does strike out a lot. And if you want his exact money, he's owed $13 million for each of the next two seasons and then a club option for $12 million bucks in 2026. So the Dodgers okay. would have to eat a lot of that money. And Just that, rather get Polanco. Yeah. Same here. For cheaper. I would too. So now what if the twins don't, the twins wouldn't trade him? That I'm just throwing it out there is it might not be the best idea, but it is an idea. So I just wanted to throw that out. Maybe that would, be, just kind of, that would be news to us if he, they weren't going to trade him. I mean, they, they're the most publicly available players in baseball. That's true. They are. Chris Taylor, we don't even know if he's available. No, we don't. But if you want to go off, oh, Jerry makes a lot of moves that nobody expects. Who expected him to trade back for Mitch Hanniger? Maybe trade back for Chris Taylor in some world. Yeah, why don't we just, like, what's the meme? The gang's back together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, if we're going to stick on the Dodgers, I do have one other interesting idea. So as their roster sits right now, both Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas are projected to be in the minor leagues when opening day starts. I mean, this is what happens when you acquire big league superstars like the Dodgers have. Well, we've talked about the Mariners and the idea of making a trade with the Orioles in terms of, could you get Heston Kerstad? Could you get Kobe Mayo? Could you get Jordan Westberg? Guys like that. Well, what if they called Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers and said, we're interested in one of Miguel, Var- Miguel Vargas or Michael Bush? Those are two guys that are very young, high prospects, good upside, and they both play second and third base. Maybe? What are, like, are we talking, so the, the Mariners' best asset to trade is pitching because they have a lot of it. And those guys are highly touted, 100%. The Dodgers regard them very highly. Like, you couldn't just trade Emerson Hancock for those guys. The Dodgers don't need starting pitching. They'd just be like, huh, we're good. We don't need it. I'm just wondering what, what you could offer the Dodgers that like, it would have to be, it have to be probably a, a blue-chip prospect or, or two. To go get those guys. Those guys are are very highly regarded. I mean, Cole Young, they're like, yeah, we'll take Cole Young back. It would have to be a decent haul. And again, maybe this is is an idea that everybody just throws out, including Jerry Depoto. But we're just spitballing ideas, right? Where if you're looking for young, controllable players with good upside, like you kind of talked about with the Orioles, the Dodgers are just another idea. And then the Orioles, they have a lot of bats, but they're still really building their core. The Dodgers are at the point where this is their team, and it's a team that very well could win the World Series. Are Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas a part of that? Maybe if there's injuries. But right now, they're kind of stuck in no man's land. So maybe this just results in a nothing burger, and the Mariners don't even think about this. Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas at this point are a bit expendable because their roster is so good. So maybe the Dodgers wouldn't move on from them. Maybe the Mariners aren't interested. But, again, just another idea. I'm wondering what the reaction would be if the Mariners are expecting two guys who have not played very much Major League Baseball at all 
to be major contributors this season because that's you're trading Michael Bush for Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas to contribute now and be productive now. I know that wouldn't reflect very well. We could be excited about their future, but contention in 2024 still reigns supreme. And saying, hey, Michael Bush, no pressure, but if you're not good, that's an issue, man, in in his first full big league season. It is. And if I had to pick between one of the two to trade for, it would probably be Bush because he's a little bit older. And Vargas also in his first hundred big league games or so has really struggled. So I'd probably lean toward Bush if it was going to be one of those two. But you are right that it is an unproven guy. Just an idea. Welcome to the pressure cooker, Michael. No pressure. Yeah. Well, I no, I I like that idea. So if it just sounds like this would be re- less realistic because the Dodgers view again view those guys so highly. But the combination of the Mariners not wanting to give up a top prospect on top of trading for a completely unproven guy. Yeah, he's cheap, and you'll have him for a while. But unproven, and I don't know the the. I know the people who watch the games don't want to wait for any more people to prove themselves. It's time to go. It's not time to wait around any longer. And you need you need production out of an infield spot. And I, I don't know if you could, as as much as we could like Michael Bush, project that he's better than Luis Urias in 2024. Like, we can't say that for certain. Unfortunately, he could be, but we can't say that for certain. And that makes you a little hesitant to be like, well, that is that worth Cole Young now? Is that? I don't know. Because by the time the Mariners could say, okay, well, we'll control him for six years. It's going to be really nice to have him in 2025 and 2026. Well, you might have some more infielders by then in your own system that you don't have to trade for. So, okay. That's true. And like I said on our mailbag episode Friday, while unlikely, I think there is a small chance where there's a world Cole Young could be in the big leagues by the end of 2024. So if you believe that, then maybe you just wouldn't trade for Michael Bush. This is where we're at. Are any of these ideas perfect? No. But when a team limits what your payroll is going to be and limits options, you got to try and get creative. Otherwise, I'd just say Cody Bellinger. Go for it. Doesn't matter what it takes. But that was never in the cards to begin with. Before we get to our interview with Scott Braun, let's hear a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking the link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Well, we've got a conversation with Scott Braun to get to. We haven't recorded it yet as of the time of us recording this part of the show, but I will say a couple things have changed since the last time we had Scott on. 
Well, one, as far as we know, he is not going to be in an airport this time. So that part's good. The last time we also talked to Scott, the Mariners were a week or two from ending the season. 54% was not a thing. For all we knew, they still had a shot to get in the playoffs. And foul territory had not started talking about the Mariners the way they talked about them this offseason. They have really put the Mariners under the spotlight here this winter for the reason that we have. And it's been for things that have been in a negative connotation because they haven't spent money. They've done a lot of, a lot of salary dumping. The foul territory guys have not been shy to talk about that. So we wanted to have Scott back on at some point no matter what. And now we've got some very relevant things to talk to him about. And Scott himself has been especially critical. I mean, he might be the most vocal of that group against the Mariners. So we'll dive into that with him and more. So with that, let's get to our conversation with Scott Braun. All right, we welcome on Scott Braun, friend of the program, now recurring guest, and not in the airport this time. So it seems a little less hectic on your end, Scott. Yeah, I can hear you well. I can see you well. Connectivity should be good, although it's supposed to storm pretty badly here um, coming up in Orlando, but I think we'll beat that. So good to see you all from my, I guess, first home. You saw my second home last time, uh, one of the newly renovated airports up north. How is how is Orlando treating you this winter? Uh, great. It's treating me warmly. So it's been fantastic down here and it's just been fun. Kind of feels the same doing our shows every day because the off season has had a lot of length to it, I would say, being that we're in January and half the major free agents haven't signed yet. Some people are pissed about that. We're not because sometimes January can be slow in baseball and it is not slow at all. I mean, some days specifically where there's no one signing can be slow, but otherwise it's a lot more buzz to talk about versus every player signed up already, right? January is usually, in my mind, the deadest month of the of the year in baseball because then spring training starts in February. So January just became another December this year, which I'm all about. So you guys on the show like more of a hypothetical approach than a, than a results-based? It's, it's just more fun? I think fans are into that, right? So we've barely talked about Shohei Otani since he signed. And some fans probably, we always get that. They're like, hey, we're talking about Otani too much. I'm like, not really. It's one of the biggest signings in baseball history. So I feel like we can talk about it a lot. But then once he signed, it just became more about the Dodgers and what they're doing next, not just about Otani and what he's thinking, right? So I feel like it's been treated the way that fans want it to be treated because we're really going off what the fans are doing. I mean, I tried to do that as much as I can. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. Like in our chat um, the other day, fans were like, I really want to learn more about the business of baseball, all the TV revenue that gets talked about, which is very relevant to what we'll probably talk about with the Mariners. And they said, are there any guests that you can bring on? We've done that once or twice during the season with say John Oran, who works for uh, SBJ. So on the next show that we're doing, we have Maury Brown, who writes all about the business of baseball. So we just literally listened to the fans who, who talked about that and did that. A lot of chatter about, hey, can you talk about Dylan Cease and Corbin Burns? So we've done a lot of that. So yeah, there's a lot of potential. I would say in general, when you look at the digital audience and what their interests are, and this is different in my mind from the, the linear TV audience where I used to be a part of more and we're still on TV, but it's more of a mix now, is future is most important, present is second most important and, and interesting. And past is least interesting. So where at this time period at my old job, we're probably talking about Hall of Fame like three quarters of the time. 
we're not talking as much Hall of Fame because our fans have minor interest in it, not as much interest, right? They'd rather us talk about what each team is going to do over the next month in terms of moves. So that's where I've seen some differences. I'm all about it. I like that better. So sign me up. I can talk Hall of Fame, but only a little. I, I feel like it gets dominated a little too much in the offseason where I'd rather just talk about what teams are doing trades and signings wise. Before we get into any Mariner specific stuff, you were mentioning all the TV revenue stuff. Do you feel like that is a reason free agency is moving so slow this winter? Or do you feel like it's something else? Um, I think there's a number of factors. I think Scott Boris right now has four out of the top, what, five or six free agents. So that puts him in a case where if he decides that the numbers aren't where they should be, you can kind of do that hold with all of your players, right? I think we've seen in the past him have a hold on players and they all sign pretty much right in a row where if I remember back, I think it was after the 2019 season, wasn't it Cole, Rendon, and Strasburg all at the winter meetings? And those were all, I believe, Scott Boris clients. So that's a factor. Sure, TV revenue is a factor. I call it more the excuse du jour. It's the excuse of the year for owners to keep more money. That's really what it is. They try and look at narratives on a yearly basis, not all, but some, and say, hey, what can I use as an excuse to try and let people that are not at my level feel bad for me in terms of what my spending amount should be? So that's just what they're using, and that's what they use in, in leverage and negotiations, and that's why a team like the Dodgers can just lap them. Sure, their TV contract is big, and I think it's the biggest one at the moment, but there's other teams that have spent. Like the Yankees are showing a willingness to spend. The Giants are showing a willingness to spend. They're not using the TV money excuse like some other spots are. So I just think it's a way for owners to keep more money in their pockets. What sucks is how disproportionate it is. I mean, it is all focused on essentially L.A., that's it, because no, I feel like half the teams in Major League Baseball have not much to think about this offseason because there hasn't been anything. And I don't, like for you guys, especially you guys want to cover the whole league, but you don't want to only spend time talking about the teams that will actually add this offseason. I mean, it wants you want to have some conversations about the rest of the teams, but it, it stinks when teams like the Mariners, <laughs> the Marlins, the Reds. I, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about the Rockies or the A's because they clearly don't care that much. But I mean you guys cover all 30 teams. So you have to. So is it like, it does, do you think it, it, it uh, hurts the, maybe not hurts, but it, it it's more difficult to, to format the content you guys want to put out because it's so disproportionate this off season and you want to reach all 30 fan bases. Yeah. With the A's, we're not going to talk about their transactions because there are none. I mean, Trevor God, I think is the only major league signing that they've made. So they still have a massive storyline around them. So we still talk about the A's quite a bit, but it's more for other reasons, right? So they're still in our minds. I mean, we actually talked about the Rockies yesterday and we did a poll within our hosts, like what's the team we talk about the least on the show? And it's probably the Rockies. They don't have any controversy surrounding them. They're not doing that much at the moment. So yeah, we're going to talk about what's relevant in the game. We're not just going to sit on a team that's not doing anything. It just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, you're right. That That is kind of dictating what we're going to talk about on a daily basis, the teams that are actually making moves, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, the Mariners have made some moves and you guys have talked about the Mariners a pretty good amount this offseason. Unfortunately, I'd say more of it has been infamously rather than things they've done well. And I'll just throw this to you because I know you and the rest of the baseball world have brought it up, us included, a ton this winter. 
But when you heard 54% for the first time, what was your reaction? Like you hear Jerry DePoto utter those words, you think what? I think about merchandise, right? T-shirts, ink. There's somebody who's going to make a lot of money in the parking lot, um, outside of the ballpark for opening day where people will show up. And if they don't already have something that has that number on there, then they'll have it now, right? It is a number that is going to stick with the franchise until they win a World Series, right? We all, we all had a number in our minds for uh, two decades plus, right? What was the number? 21. 2001 or mm-hmm. 21, right? So that was the number. That number is gone. They made the playoffs. The new number is 54% because who cares what the explanation is? It doesn't matter. The number has to do with the um, decision to stand in mediocrity in terms of payroll at a time when this is their winning window. So that's what it stands for. I don't care about the rest. That's what it stands for. Hey, are we putting ourselves in a position where if the cards go our way, we make the playoffs? Or are we going to be like teams that um, either go for it all the time, which they should be. They're essentially a big market team in terms of how they should be operating. Or at the very least, are we pushing all of our chips in when it's the time, which is now? Because I, I think any Mariners fan would agree that if they push their chips in for the next two to three years and then they scale back again, which they've done in the past, everyone would be okay, right? If their payroll was $200 million over the next couple of years and then they won a World Series and then they scale back and some of their guys got expensive or left in free agency and they kind of reset, would you guys be okay? Yep. <laughs> yep. They could go on another 22-year drought. I wouldn't care. <laughs> The Cubs did that, right? The Cubs tanked, won a World Series. The glory days were not as long, I think, as anticipated, but they still had a run. They had some postseason appearances around that. And then they reset. And their fans were generally okay until now, where they're like demanding them to go for it again and get back involved. They've been super, they haven't done anything this offseason, but I think they will. So I'm not as concerned about them. But that model works. The problem in Seattle is that model is now never happening, right? Tanked, brought payroll down significantly, now won't even bring it back up to what it was many years ago. And usually like payroll should be going this way, just given how money is um, going up, right? In, in terms of what a payroll should look like, like in natural inflation, especially in a game where the revenue does go up. And the team has done super, super well. I give them a ton of credit, like from a business standpoint, Top 10 attendance. They're doing a lot of things correctly. What they're not doing is is figuring out when they should be pushing their chips and how they're playing the PR game too. Because I've done a lot of digging on what the TV situation looks like for them. And I don't know everything because there's been no transparency from the tippy top at ownership in terms of what's going on. That's another good way to piss people off is to not tell them the facts. But when you have a network that's going to go to a different tier sports package wise, and you're concerned that people are going to not subscribe to paying more for Mariners games. I know that if I was an owner and I was concerned about that, I would kick ass in the off season so that I made sure that everyone's like, I can't not have this package. I got to watch every Mariners game. We just picked up, we just traded for Juan Soto. Like, let's go, baby, right? That's a trade they should have made, or that's a kind of player that they should have looked into that would have had Mariners fans freaking out this offseason 
and nobody's canceling his subscription. What they've done right now and the precedent that they've set, unfortunately, for their front office, I feel bad for Jerry Depoto, is that he has to, to make magic with the same payroll when players get more expensive too, right? When guys go into arbitration like a Logan Gilbert, he's saying, hey, Jerry, you have to, you have to make magic, get us back in the playoffs with the same payroll. How are fans supposed to react to that? I've already seen it. I have fans reaching out to us on our DMs, social media, Twitter replies, go down the line, tons of YouTube comments. And they're like, F this, I'm not subscribing to that, right? Even if they do surprise us, they're like, you're not doing what you promised as a franchise. So in my mind, then they're going to use the TV excuse, but you screwed yourself over with the TV excuse by, by not giving fans a reason to subscribe to a premium tier package. So uh, off of uh, volume aside, what you, what you just mentioned, wanting to create the most valuable product possible that, that Kimmy can't miss. Is that not exactly what the Dodgers, Yankees, and Red Sox have historically done to put themselves in this position they're in right now? Wait, elaborate. Give me so, more. As ma- in terms of making a valuable product and making their RSNs that much more valuable. Like the Yes Network, nobody in New York is going to be like, I can't have Yes. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'll pass on Yes. It's like, well, actually, I do really want to have Yes because I can't miss Yankee games. And they've built up that a generational pull to their network and it's the same with Nesson and the Dodgers channel name has changed over the years I think it's Spectrum now but people want to watch the Dodgers and now they're going to have hundreds of millions of more people who want to watch the Dodgers over in Japan as well so I would say bring it back to that so something that like the Red Sox Yankees and Dodgers have done over the years is the reason their RSNs are that valuable so the Mariners have to realize from the top that we are in the entertainment business we are not in the mathematics business you're not going to teach fans a math equation to get them to subscribe to your product. And you are spot on. And by the way, I just want to mix this in because I thought of this when we were talking about Dodgers and I, I didn't spit it out yet. But do you know what the Dodgers did last offseason? Do you guys Nothing. remember? Not really. Not much. Yeah, they, they, waited. They, got under the, they got under the luxury tax to set themselves up for Otani and Yamamoto. Sure. And, and guess what? Last offseason, there wasn't a ton of complaint. The general consensus in my mind from fans was, Let's go, baby. We're loading up for Shohei Otani, and they have delivered. They obviously have delivered even more than that, and some of that's thanks to Otani, who had the idea of the deferrals. But you're spot on, TJ, because those teams have made themselves valuable from a TV network or even digital network, whatever you want to call it these days, right, perspective, from a franchise perspective, which I think we're vastly underrating with the Dodgers is how much they can sell a jersey patch for, how much they're going to dominate baseball internationally for years to come, and how much that helps people traveling to the United States and saying, oh, I want to go to LA because I want to go to a Dodger game because I want to see all those freaking players that they just brought in. That's the merchandise and the jersey sales that I want to buy. Even internationally, I'm sure they'll have a big-ass deal with a place like NHK. So you're spot on. That's the way that those teams have thought. For years. The Red Sox are actually taking a step back right now and it is going to hurt them. But I just think there are a lot of decision makers in our game that just can't get over when they're not profiting like crazy and they set that market, right? Billionaires generally are numbers people. They're obsessed with numbers, everything, even probably little things in life. I've come across quite a few in my life where they're cracking numbers on things that I'm like, I'm the person stepping in with my little salary going, why do you care? Like you're rich. Don't worry about that. Just 
just get a car service. Like, what are you doing? You know, stuff like that. So I, I think that obsession can hurt people. And especially sometimes when it's the next generation. I mean, we're seeing that in Oakland. That's a daddy money person who has no concept of reality. And that's why he just, every single step he takes is right into a gutter. So yeah, you're spot on. They're just not looking at this the right way. It's very obvious. And if I was wrong, if you were wrong, if anyone was wrong, they would come out and tell us. There's a reason why there's been zero word from the tippy top. That's when people keep their mouth shut, when they don't have anything good to say. And if they got questions, the answers would be ugly. I know we've got a few more minutes left with you, but you guys have had Paul Seawald on a decent amount now over the last few months and especially this offseason. When you've asked him about the Mariners and listening to some of the answers he's given, what have you learned from him about how players are feeling in that clubhouse? I think we should point to someone else that's been on the show recently who spoke at the end of the year. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Cal. Cal. Yeah, Cal. Cal's the man. He's awesome. (laughs) He is a G for saying that. And I know in our sport, players can be worried, especially before they get their big contract about saying something like that, but they shouldn't be. The right teams will look at a player like that and be like, that's a winner. That's a transparent player. That's a guy that's obsessed with winning. That's the quarterback of a team. It's a guy who's been so valuable for them. So I think Cal Raleigh's comments speak to me. Paul's comments speak because I think the shock factor was there too, where he's like, I'm the closer on a team. And I get parts of why they made that deal last year. But really, for me, I just think <laughs> trade a prospect or two if you're trying to bring in you know, some more depth and a few guys that have more contact-oriented approaches, right? Which I think was partially the explanation for who they acquired. Trading away your closer at a time like that just made no sense to me. So um, we even made fun of it the other day. That's just not what winning teams do. And again, that's just putting... Jerry DePoto in a losing position. I will say he's the right man for the job there because if you are given the same bar on a yearly basis, even though salaries inflate, he is the guy that's going to make crafty trades to at least try and put you in a better position. So I'm not knocking what he's done this offseason. He's playing within his parameters and they might be a better team. I think there's a little more upside this year, but there's also more risk, right? Like Mitch Garver is a perfect example of that. Dude can freaking hit. He can slug lefties as well as anyone in baseball. Also hasn't been able to stay on the field. Same with Mitch Hanniger over the last few years. So that's what you're looking at with a team like this. I'm not saying I don't like them. And the reason I have so much passion specifically with Mariners fans, I am an insomniac. I watched so much Mariners baseball the last few years. I love Dave Sims. I think he's one of the best play-by-play dudes in the game. So whenever he's on, I automatically want to listen to him. So there's passion there. And that's why we're able to relate to fan bases that don't have anywhere else to go. Team shows like yours, absolutely. But from a national perspective, you're not going to get this on other shows, right? This kind of passion and transparency, and it's not just me, but you know, Ken Rosenthal and AJ Prusinski calling out specific names, right? Like John Stanton and being like, dude, what are you doing right now? That's what you need. You need therapy sessions for your fans if the teams aren't going to do it. Last question for me, Scott. So you, you, you mentioned Jerry's the perfect guy f- for this job. How much of that has to do with his previous stop with the Angels and how that situation ended and how he's learned to deal with subpar upper management? Oh, yeah. That's a great, great call. He dealt with Artie Moreno. I mean, Jerry's had it rough, if you think about it, in terms of who your boss is, right? You wake up one day, you think... I'm sure there was a point in life where he thought he might be able to recruit and sign Shohei Otani, and he woke up one day and ownership said, hey, we're going to have a little, little meeting. And they said... Not only are we not going after Shohei, but 
payroll staying the same for next year, but I know you've been waiting for this moment for many years to be able to strike and bring us up to a, a more realistic range, but it ain't happening. So get crafty, baby, because you're my front man and I pay you millions of dollars so that you can take the hit and not me. So yeah, that's why I can't say it enough. I've been very impressed with what Jerry's done this offseason to be creative, but it's the same thing. Like, I think Robbie Ray is going to be good when he comes back for San Francisco. Did the Mariners need that player? No, but then the asset was traded to dump money. I mean, they ended up, you know, dumping $50 million on the back end of that contract. He's just in a really difficult spot. So um, I like the Mariners. I think they're a playoff contender, but I think we can all agree that they have massively whiffed with their fan base and just having a little more wiggle room on payroll would have made all the world a difference. We're not having a conversation about any free agents, right? Like we've been able to easily shoot it down based on what's been said that we've had fans be like, I think Chapman would be a good fit there. I think Bellinger would be a good fit there. I think Soto would be a good fit there. And we're able to, we're able to confidently 100% say that ain't happening. And Jerry's had to take a lot of arrows for it as unfair as it is. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has been great as always. We always love talking to you. We appreciate you keeping it real, especially for a national show that teams like the Mariners don't always get as much attention as as people out here would like to see them get. But you guys have done a great job with it. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you chopping it up with us for a bit. Thanks, guys. You do a great job. Um, it You do have probably, what, the best young starting staff in all of baseball. So you can hang your hat on that. It's definitely not going to be a bad team, but. Yeah, it's just, it's just passion and venom that I'm feeling. So it's nice to air it out with you guys because obviously you can relate. And Happy to hopefully come on again where we can talk about a team that's exceeding expectations and every single move that was made hit. But until then, we're going to be a little pissed off as, as a collective group, right? You're not wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Appreciate you. Always enjoy talking to Scott Braun. It was kind of like I said at the end of that interview where – there's a lot of national shows that don't talk about the Mariners a whole lot, but Foul Territory's done it a lot this winter. And even though it's for reasons that we wish were more positive at times, we've all echoed it, either it's on the show, here, or on Twitter, or wherever. And Foul Territory, they've done a lot of it too on a national stage, echoing the same sentiments that we had. You heard it from Scott in the interview. And as always, he keeps it real, he's transparent, and he's always great to talk to. So we appreciate it. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so wherever you get your audio pods. Make sure to download the episode, leave us a five-star review, follow the show, and then go like, comment, subscribe on YouTube where our full video podcast is. Go watch over there and check us out on social media on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.